If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of The Change Physician. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Kukara, with my wonderful co-host, Dr. Melissa Katie, and today's fantastic guest, this is Dr. Paul Thomas. Now, Dr. Thomas is with Plum Health Direct Primary Care, of which we are a huge fan of direct primary care at The Change Physician, and he's here today to talk about his physician journey. So, Paul, thank you for coming on to The Change Physician. Hey, thanks so much for having me here. It's really great, um, even though it's Zoom, it's uh, good to get together <laughs> like this. <laughs> Well, we're so lucky to have Zoom, you know, could you imagine if it was like 10 years ago and, and we didn't have this technology, so. Yeah, we'd have to like record on a VCR and then mail it to each other, <laughs> something like that. Go old school. Yeah, yeah we'll tele, tele, uh, whatever they call them, those old tele, telemedicine or the people use the, the group calls with the telephone, which are so annoying. But yeah. All right. Well, we're in the modern era. We got Zoom. Sure, it's COVID, but we can still connect. And we want to start with your physician journey in as always, we start with well, why in the world did you, you choose this path? Why did you go into medicine? Well, um, I, I grew up in a Methodist church and I was looking for ways to volunteer in the community. And there was a something called Cass Clinic, which was affiliated with Cass United Methodist uh, here in Detroit. And so I started volunteering at their free medical clinic for homeless and uninsured folks um, and elderly senior citizens who had transportation issues. There's a senior citizen center down the street. There was a Mariners Inn, which was kind of like a halfway house or like a drug rehabilitation program. And then there were a lot of homeless folks who came through. And I got to volunteer as a high, high school student at 17, which is really transformative for me. And I got to work shoulder to shoulder with Wayne State University School of Medicine medical students. And then a preceptor named Dr. Costia, who could handle seemingly anything that walked through the door and a lot of interesting things walked through the door. And so uh, that was super inspiring and it changed my worldview and it changed how I thought I could impact the world. And I loved being able to get to know people longitudinally like over multiple visits. And then I really enjoyed that relationship building and the camaraderie among the students. And so I was like, okay, I wanna be a doctor and I wanna to go to Wayne State School of Medicine. Wow. So pretty early focus then you, uh, you know, I'm assuming if this is high school, you knew where you wanted, you know, I'd have to go to college and then you're making everything ready to go to Wayne state. So how was that sort of trajectory? Did anything kind of derail that or were you pretty laser focused for that part? I was pretty laser focused for that part. I went straight through, I went to Michigan state, had a wonderful experience there. Uh, largest, uh, land grant college in the United States known for the Spartans and, you know, the beautiful, um, like school grounds. It's a great place to be. And then uh, right after that, I matriculated at Wayne State and started, uh, you know, immersing myself in the Detroit community, volunteering at places like Cass Clinic. My first year, we started a um, student-run free clinic on the east side. Cass is kind of like in the downtown midtown area. On the east side, there was not a lot of healthcare resources. So we started our own clinic over there. Um, we also, my junior year, we started this thing called um, Street Medicine Detroit, where we'd go out and uh, deliver healthcare to homeless folks on the street, in parks, on street corners, in homeless shelters, like in the basement of a church, et cetera. 
Um, and then we also did this really unique like art project uh, where we built an outdoor medical clinic um, at like an outdoor um, art center called Heidelberg Project. And uh, it was like a physical representation of a clinic that should be there, but wasn't because of disinvestment and a lot of other systemic factors. So Wayne State was just like this an amazing place to um, learn about medicine in the community and, and invest in that way. Awesome. Wow. That is super inspiring. Uh, all the things you did just in that amount of time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, well, first of all, that just where you kind of created, if you can go extend a little bit more, I'm kind of curious what they did based on that art exhibit type infrastructure. Sure. So there's this artist named Tyree Guyton and a lot of people left the neighborhood. A lot of buildings were burned down or demolished in his community, but he stayed and then he started collecting car hoods and tires and uh, stuffed animals that were discarded. And he made all this amazing artwork, even like boats on this like three block area, three entire city blocks. And then we asked him if we could build a medical clinic, like an outdoor medical clinic to represent, you know, what could be in that neighborhood, but isn't because of all these different factors. And he said, yes, which was really surprising. Um, so we were like a group of 10, 15 medical students. We bought a bunch of supplies. We got some old like uh, exam tables and old desk, old radiology images. And then we built this like outdoor clinic thing and it got picked up by like the Detroit Free Press. And, and um, like there's a art blog that I used to follow. You know, this is like late 2000s, late aughts, as you would say. And it was like this really cool thing that we made and it's still there. And it's wow. been like weathered and changed over time. And he's added like different elements to it, but it still exists. So it's a neat place to go. So did that inspire any other kind of like resources for the area or what did that lead to? Well, I mean, for me, you know, it was kind of like emblematic of the clinic that I wanted to build when I graduated. And so I ended up building a clinic that was not unlike that clinic yeah. um, just down the street. So like we're you know, a couple of miles away here in um, Corktown from where we built that at the Heidelberg project. And, and my initial office was quite similar to that outdoor office. It was just like one exam room with a desk and an exam table. And that was like what my office was when I first started this direct primary care practice. And now we have this like 1700 square foot facility with three exam rooms and, you know, med room and supply room and all that. So it's a little bit bigger, but for me, that's kind of like an anchor of like in my mind's eye of like what's possible with some intentionality. Yeah. So you were going into your training for primary care. You'd kind of chosen that path and it's pretty traditional training. Was there anything about that training that surprised you and how medicine was being delivered? Yeah. You know, I talk about this in my TED talk, but you know, like I really loved that time that I had with my patients in medical school and then the further and further I got into residency, and by the time I graduated from residency, I just had less and less time where I would really only have 15 to 20 minutes per patient to see them and take care of them. And I thought that was like a dreadful amount of time. It just wasn't enough time to give my full time and attention to somebody. And I talked to the previous graduates, you know, great doctors, really good people, but they're just trapped in a system where they have to see 25 patients, 20 to 30 patients a day. Some of the high producers, 
you know, see 40 patients a day and, uh, you know, they make a lot more money because it's a volume game and we're incentivized in the fee-for-service system to see as many patients as possible. And I totally rejected that notion of like, yes, let's see as many patients as possible because that's great medicine because it's not. And, you know, medicine for me is all about developing strong, caring relationships with my patients and it's bi-directional. My patients care about me. They ask how I'm doing, which didn't really happen when I was in the system or, you know, my first year out of residency, I was working in urgent care seeing, I would see 40 patients in an eight hour shift and sometimes 55 to 60 patients in a 12 hour shift. Um, and that was like, what was expected. Um, and I hated that. And I just was like biding my time until I got a you know more full panel at Plum Health. Yeah. So, so that's kind of interesting because you went, you know, you had this mission pretty early on in high school and you're, and it sounds like you're pretty laser focused. You're still dedicated. If you, you, know, you have this, this kind of physician mentality or I'm going to care for people and you maintain that through residency, which I think sometimes gets lost in a lot of us. But mm-hmm. when did you, when did the idea of changing your model, like I, I, you know, direct primary care is much more known now than it used to be. Um, I'm certainly at the end of the aughts, early aughts, it was really pretty still new then. I mean, there mm-hmm. was a couple kind of people at the forefront then, but it was not as widespread as now. So when did you decide, you know, cause some people would say, well, I'm going to change my specialty. I'm going to go into this. I'm going to leave medicine. Mm-hmm. Why did you then decide I'm going to, ch- I'm going to change the model through how care is delivered. Yeah. So like 2012, my friend who's like a libertarian sent me this podcast and he was like, Oh, you got to listen to this libertarian doctor out West doing this DBC thing. And I was like, Oh, cool, man. <laughs> I listened to it and I thought it was really cool. The guy was super passionate, but I was like, oh, I'm going to, I graduated med school in 2013. So I was like, I'll probably like work with the hospital system and be like professorial and teach other residents. Like that's kind of like the vision I had for myself going forward. But then at the end of residency, at the end of like, you know, mid 2016, I was like, there's no way I can do this really at the end of 2015. And then in March, 20. 16, I had uh, like a practice management and I wrote a business plan for my direct primary care practice through that practice management. The assignment was write a uh, business plan for a, you know, uh, a fee for service clinic. But I was like, no, that sounds terrible. Let's do one for a DBC office. It was super simple. I explained it all to to my co-residents and all the light bulbs went on. They're like, oh, that is simple. And then I wrote like a curriculum for myself we could do an elective in our final year of residency. So I did a direct primary care elective. I wrote a curriculum that I'd spent two weeks with uh, DPC doctors and then just read, you know, X, Y, and Z about it and then write a little thesis at the end. And so I did that. I drove out to uh, Denver, uh, you know, Colorado area. And I spent some time with uh, Dr. Flanagan. And I I went out to Wichita, uh, Kansas and spent some time with Josh Umber and the Atlas Clinic. And uh, just learned a ton from those guys. They looked over my business plan. I really took the best of what they were doing out there and brought it back to my practice here in Detroit. And we've succeeded with it. You know, we've tweaked it along the way, but it's the formula works. The business plan works. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, 
Kevin, do you have another question? Oh, I have many one. more questions, but I, I don't want to like... No, you, you know. go ahead. I've already stolen a few. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and I just love that because we've, we've had Josh on the show and, and, I, and I'm, I'm looking at your website and listening to your story. And it's interesting because his story is a little bit different, but the passion for medicine is still there. And he approached it from a, you know, much more of a libertarian mindset of how do you deliver effective, cost-effective care? And what I'm hearing in, 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 the, in what, I've, what you've said is this focus on really how can we provide great service to, to a population that needs it, whether it's interest in an underserved population. Um, so when you were creating your business plan, did, did you anticipate then where you, like, because you, you said your office now is two blocks away from where you would build the the i don't know what you call that the art clinic or uh, about two miles two about miles okay away. about two miles away but were you anticipating moving in toward an underserved area or trying to create affordable care for perhaps people that were having difficulty finding good care yeah of, of course i mean all of detroit is medically underserved our clinic is in an hpsa or a health professional shortage area so um there's about 50, probably like 75 to 100 primary care physicians in the city of Detroit right now. And there are 630,000 residents. So there's about one primary care physician in Detroit for every 6,000 residents. And a good, like an adequate number would be one physician for every 1,800 residents. So that's like, you know, more than three times underserved. Now, the contrast is if you just go north of eight mile, into Oakland County, one of the wealthiest counties in America. I think it's like top five wealthiest counties in America. There's one primary care physician for every 600 residents. Hmm. Then if you go west, you know, over to Ann Arbor, same thing, one primary care physician for every 612 residents or something like that. So there's a 10X disparity, one to 6,000 versus one to 600 uh, in the Detroit community to the surrounding com communities. And so I'm acutely aware of that. Um, and a lot of Detroiters have trouble accessing excellent primary care services because even though they might have health insurance coverage, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a doctor in their community that can see them. And even, even if they have to drive north into Southfield, which is in Oakland County, and see a doctor there, they may not reliably be able to make that trip because about 35% of Detroiters don't have access to reliable transportation. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's instrumental to be in the city to be on a major route, like we're right on Michigan Avenue, um, really close to the Rosa Parks Transit Center. So we can capture people who uh, might have to rely on a bus to, to get to our clinic or might have to walk to our clinic. And so that, that was super important for us to be in this urban environment and to be able to serve people who don't have access to healthcare. And that's, that's, a, that's our mission statement. We believe that healthcare should be affordable and accessible for everyone. And that's what we're trying to accomplish with our clinic. How do you describe to people that don't understand what direct primary care is? How would you, what's your, your spiel? Um, the short version is um, it's concierge medicine, but for everyone else, <laughs> you know, it's you, we have that mentality that every single person is super important. And, you know, you have our cell phone numbers, email addresses. If you text me, I'm going to respond pretty much right away. Uh, at least within 24 hours. Um, however, we don't bill or use insurance. You don't need to have insurance to be a part of our clinic. Um, and it's $50 a month. It starts at $49 a month for adults and it's $10 a month for kids. And so if you can afford a cell phone bill for yourself, 
you can afford direct primary care for yourself. If you can afford a cable bill for yourself, you can afford excellent primary care services for your family uh, through this DPC model. And, and how would you describe to people how you make, like whether it's prescriptions or labs, or how, how would you describe how that becomes affordable for people? Sure, we, we get all our meds at wholesale and we save people 50 to 90% on the cost of prescription meds. Um, we do the same thing for lab work. Um, we contract with Quest to get the best prices possible. For example, if you wanna check your cholesterol at my old hospital system, that would be $150 to your insurance. And if you're uninsured, it'd be $150 too, because that's the price. At our clinic, it's $6. Yeah. And I think this is where the health insurance system, like the health insurance hospital industrial complex really screws Americans over because if you make too much to qualify for Medicaid, but not enough to afford private health insurance, you get stuck with the hospital-based charges that are super inflated because they assume that there's going to be some sort of hospital discount or insurance-based discount. But if you're uninsured, you don't have the luxury of that discount and you're, you're paying full freight, which is a really unreasonable amount of money. So basically, if you want to get your annual labs, you're billed $500. In our clinic, it's $31. So it's yeah. a huge difference in terms of affordability. And then it... I, I am sorry if I'm going on a run in Go here, ahead. but please continue. You know, the, the, we love it. The really important thing that our clinic does is that it empowers people to take care of themselves. So if you're looking at managing diabetes, maybe you're buying all of your diabetic meds at the pharmacy for $150 every month. You're seeing a doctor every three months for $150. And then every three months you needed a hemoglobin A1C for $150. So you know, average out monthly, that's about, you know, $250 a month versus in our clinic, it's 69, you know, $49 a month for your membership plus $6 every three months for that hemoglobin A1C plus maybe $20 for your diabetes meds. Cause we get you insulin for free here, um, through like our industry partners, Novo Nordisk, Novo MedLink, free diabetic supplies and all that kind of stuff to help our patients. So you know, that takes somebody from a place where they're not even checking their numbers because it's going to be too expensive to somebody who's amped up about, hey, doc, I was 100. Um, my blood sugar was 100 this morning when I woke up. And they're like writing all of them down and bringing them to their next appointment, proud about the uh, progress that they're making. Yeah. And I'm oh, sorry. I was just going to uh, just to clarify for people listening, when you say the price is like you're drawing the blood there. You're giving the medicines to them directly there. They don't have to go anywhere else to do yes. to get those things. <laughs> it's exactly. like a one-stop shop. So anyway, sorry, go ahead, Kevin. Well, and exactly. I was going to compound onto that too, is because people, we have all this stuff about non-compliant patients and this, that other thing. And it, that always irritates me because you're like saying that people choose to be sick. And it's like, that is so wrong to do. Mm -hmm. And you know, you, you've created this model now where you can deliver fantastic care at a really, really affordable cost. And the other thing that you again mentioned before is you're not doing this on volume. So now you have the time to spend with these people. And then and it sounds like they're, that they're engaged with you. Like, so I, I would be kind of curious, what, how is your, in residency, it tends to be very busy practice. When you were in urgent care, it was very busy practice. 
but how do you see your interactions with your patients now and how engaged are your patients when it comes to follow-up care, when you are giving them recommendations and coaching them on what to do? What is that like in your practice? Yeah, sure. I, the average doctor has 2,400 patients. The average primary care physician has 2,400 patients and they have to see 1% of their panel each day. So that's about 24 patient visits a day. In my model, our physicians cap around 500 patients. Right now I'm around 480. And so I see about 1% of my panel each day, which works out to be about five patient visits each day. That allows me enough time to spend an hour with each patient if I need to. Most visits are 30, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour, and really fully listen to their concerns and come up with a treatment plan that we can agree on and something that they're going to follow through on. And then I hand them the meds on the way out the door so that they're able to take them. And then I can set reminders in my calendar like, oh, I just started this patient on an antidepressant. Let's uh, meet up in three months. And then I'll put a little reminder in my calendar to follow up with them in two weeks just to make sure they're not having any side effects from the new med and things like that. So I can you know, go through those, those check marks for my other patients during the day. I, I have maybe four to five hours of patient care time each day, and then three to four hours of admin time where I can run through those uh, check marks, where I can uh, text my patients who are trying to quit smoking or lose weight and give them some encouragement, and then make the phone call follow-ups on somebody who saw a specialist and what was discussed and all that kind of stuff. And it just feels a lot more natural where I'm not so pressed for time running from room to room, where I can really just like enjoy the interaction and the process rather than just constantly feeling rushed and stressed all day. Um, it's a pretty good feeling. And I'm laughing because you're like, oh, I have my four to five hours of admin time. And I want to make sure that the listeners understand that because in a traditional practice, when you hear people are, I'm doing administrative tasks, it's usually after the end of seeing their 24 patients a day, they're doing the two to three hours of administrative tasks, which is, you know, filling in this junk and, and, and doing all the stuff, your administrative task in that four to five hours sounds like it's actually doing useful stuff. Like yeah. and checking on patient, patient care and patient that's, care. Yeah. That's what I hated about the EMR and the system. It's like, you're checking all these boxes that don't mean anything for your patients. In my model, I'm following up on things that are important for patient care and how they're experiencing their healthcare and how they feel. Um, you know, it's funny you bring that up. There's a statistic that every primary care doctor spends 86 minutes every night doing what's called pajama notes or those administrative tasks after hours. So like they go home, cook dinner or, you know, get some takeout, put the kids to bed, read a bedtime story, pour a glass of wine, and then do an hour and a half of work, additional work every night. And I've had the luxury of not having to do that where I can really just focus on taking care of my patients during the day and then focus on relaxing, recharging, reading, um, you know, being better uh, for my next day for my next patients. Yeah. I love that. It just so much, it just, and it just, I don't know, it speaks to me because it's fun. Um, you know, I, I have, I'm not in primary care, but when you can create the experience and make it for the benefit of your patients, there's nothing better than that if you're in this field for the right reasons. So um, I just want to thank you for that. Um, you know, I, I wanted to give you a chance to, I know Kevin wants you to ask you this question, but maybe I'll ask it. 
Um, why did you name your business Plum Health and let people know where they can find you too? Yeah, um, Plum Health, we are, I mean, it's a direct primary care service. Um, for me, the plum is like a symbol of two overlapping circles. If you were to draw a plum, you just do like two overlapping circles. And for me, that's like the doctor patient relationship. And that's why we chose Plum. And it's just a nice sounding name. It's like Plum Health. It's a nice round sounding. And people sometimes say like, uh, it's Plum, like if it's square, if you build a building and it's square or something. And then also it's just, you know, every uh, large medical institution in the healthcare industrial complex in our community is uh, like, has a blue color and um, is, is eponymous for a man. So we have St. John Ascension and we have William Beaumont Hospital and we have Henry Ford Hospital and we have like Hutzel Hospital and Carmanos Hospital. And it's just like, come on guys, can we like spice it up and get, you know, we're, uh, we have a nice purple color here. And then, um, you know, it's just kind of a little bit more uh, feminine, I guess. And then, you know, we're welcoming of all, all people of all walks of life. So we take care of a lot of people and uh, the majority of our patients are in minority communities, meaning they're either ethnic or religious minorities or LGBTQ plus, et cetera. So that's a really cool place to be as well. Wow. And, and I just, I just want to read your, because I looked at your pricing sheet and this is, this is the thing that I just want people to really understand because you mentioned it already, but you look at the, at the membership model and fees and it's ages zero to 17, $10 a month, 18 to 39, $49 a month, 40 to 64, $69 a month, and then over 65, $89 a month. And, you know, for that, having access to your physician, having, you know, the ability to get medications that's significantly lower than what most people are getting, you know, this is a model that anybody can do. So, um, you know, again, thank you so much for bringing this and bringing these to communities that really, really need good care. I mean, it's just, it's astounding and, and uh, just so appreciative to see doctors doing wonderful work and choosing not to accept the models that everybody thinks that they have to take. Yeah. Yeah. This, it's 2020. You don't have to sign with the big hospital system. You can do something unique, whether it's direct care, concierge medicine, telemedicine. Um, and there's so many unique ways to earn money now. So it's like, you can write books, you can be a podcaster, you can write blogs. There's just a million options. And if you're burned out on medicine, uh, maybe take a break and do something different. Yeah. Well, just to reinforce the website that uh, Kevin was looking at is plumhealthdpc.com. Um, oh, yeah. Our website, plumhealthdpc.com. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as well at those same spots. So at plumhealthdpc on Instagram, follow us. We got some cool content every day. We tell some good stories. Um, and then we're also on Twitter. You can reach out on LinkedIn as well. And then, you know, as a, like a side project that I did, I, I've written two books. Um, one is like explaining our model. Um, and then the other one is uh, for doctors who want to start this sort of thing themselves. Uh, it's called Startup DPC, uh, how to start and grow a direct primary care practice. So I'm going to plug that as well, shamelessly. Go ahead. Going to throw it up here too. Love so, it. Um, you know, this is another thing that the practice allows me to do things that I really enjoy doing. I, I've always loved writing. I've always wanted to be an author and it's cool to have like some downtime where I worked on the book like two hours each week for, you know, 
12 weeks or something and I had a nice book out of the deal. So, you know, it's, it's a cool spot to be able to uh, leverage my time in different ways. Yeah. Was that self-published or just yeah. curious? Yeah. Um, it came out really professionally because I know a publisher. He's actually uh, somebody in my inner circle that I met through starting my practice. And uh, I was just talking one day about like wanting to publish a book. And he said, oh, I have some experience with that. So I sent him the manuscript and uh, one of my patients is a photographer. He took a couple of photos of me for the cover, which was cool. And um, it came out really nice, but yeah, it's just self-published on Amazon through, that's called KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing. Yeah. Excellent. Strong work. Thank you. It's yeah. a fun one. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Giving, freeing up your time for the things you love. That's, that's the beauty of designing your own, um, you know, business and, and uh, life. So, and we are definitely time stamping COVID uh, right now with your lovely mask. So very nice. Kevin, any last questions? I, 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 there's so many more things I could ask questions about, but I'm going to respect your time, Dr. Thomas. And I, it looks like you got people in the clinic now. So I will. Yeah. Look. We just had somebody come in for the last appointment slot of the day. So perfect. Well, that'll, that'll be our exit. Um, Kevin, unless you have anything else, I'll, I'll take us out. Take us out. All right. Well, Again, I'm Melissa Cady. I'm here with the Change Physician Podcast and Community with my co-host, Dr. Kevin Kakaro, and our amazing direct primary care guest, Dr. Paul Thomas. I'll put all the links uh, in the YouTube video area so you guys can follow him on all the various social media outlets and find his books and whatnot. So until next time, everyone take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Change Physician Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.